welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I am here with Megan Gates, and Megan is a ranch wife and mother homesteading and raising beef cattle on the Oklahoma High Plains. She produces online homesteading education, cookbooks, and Western apparel. We're going to talk about all of that today. I'm really excited. Um, When she's not wrangling toddlers, you can find her reading, gardening, or elbows deep in sourdough. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you guys got started on your operation you're at in Oklahoma and kind of what led to all of these different things that you're doing. Thanks, Lexi. It's so good to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Um, when Well, we, <laughs> there's a I'll try to I'll try to condense the backstory a little bit. Um, my husband and I met in college at OPSU, which is a teeny tiny little university in the Oklahoma Panhandle, which your listeners will probably some of them be familiar with. Normally, like general population, nobody has ever heard of it. Um, but we met at OPSU in 2011, and that was kind of um, my real second wave introduction to the agricultural world. My parent, my grandparents ran a really small kind of hobby-ish farm, um, exclusively grass-fed beef. And we sold shares back then. It was more to just people who couldn't tolerate like corn-fed beef with their digestive systems. It wasn't like a fad thing like it is now. So we were in that really tiny niche market back then. And that was my first experience with the cattle industry. Coming to OPSU gave me a little bit more of that experience. Um, And then I went off and did college at a lot of different universities. My husband stayed here. After I graduated college, I took a job at OPSU. Him and I reconnected and we started dating and got married a little shortly after that. And he he has been my biggest influence for understanding the cattle industry, for starting our cow herd. He had a really small cow herd of his own before we started dating. And then we got when after we got married, um, I think it was a year or two after we got married, we added on and bought more cows. And that's where we're at now. And he was born and raised on a really large backgrounding operation here in the panhandle. And so he has a lot more um, like yearling experience. And I had a little bit more of like the raising them for beef and um, handling the shares and the business side of things. And so that together married a really good relationship for doing our operation direct to consumer and raising the calves ourselves and everything. Um, and so that's that's kind of where we're at right now. We're just um, the vast majority of our calves still go to um, and are sold in the fall every year. But we do keep a handful back for shares and we're trying to kind of transition as to we increase our shares every year. And so we're kind of trying to transition to doing exclusively shares. It just is definitely a transition process. For sure. When you guys met and like kind of started on this journey, was this always the dream that you were going to build up to or did it unfold along the way? How did that happen? 
It really has been a dream of both of ours for, I think, our whole lives. Um, when I was grow, so I grew up in town. I grew up like in the suburbs um, and we just had the ranch a couple hours away from us. And when I was a little girl, my parents would always tell me, we're just waiting and then we're going to move to the ranch. We're going to build a house on the ranch someday. We have blueprints so we can move you to the ranch. And so as a little girl, my heart was always set on living on the ranch and having my own horse and having like the farm animals and doing the homestead stuff. My grandma's big into the homesteading stuff. And so I wanted to be with her doing all those things. And then it just never happened. And so coming out here and marrying Cody for me has been like realizing that childhood dream and owning our own cows, being able to sell beef and do all that kind of stuff. Um, With Cody living on another person's ranch, he always wanted something to call his own. And so it has really kind of been like a conglomeration of both of our childhood dreams that has taken a long time to get where we are. And we still have so much to go. There's still, you know, we're still so small right now. Um, But it has been really neat to be able to kind of sit back and know that our girls are being raised how we dreamed of when we were kids. That's amazing. I feel like there is so much in common that I I have with your story of kind of how you both came, like even your individual stories. I kind of grew up on a hobby farm. Um, My husband had a lot more cattle experience and we worked really over the next couple of years to get where we are today. Um, was, Was it an easy journey for you guys to get where you are today? I know anytime there's big dreams involved, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So what was that like? Honestly, um, Cody only bought his cows in the beginning to supplement his income. He was working a job back then that was just barely getting him by and he wanted to be able to buy things like an engagement ring before we got engaged and, you know, be able to support a wife and a family and all these things. And so he bought the cows. I think he bought eight to start with, like he, he had eight, he started with eight as all, you know, and had to take out the money on a loan. And, um, you know, we're still paying our cows off. Like we still have a cattle loan that we keep adding to that we keep having to pay off and everything. Um, but at the time his boss, um, also paid for the lease that his cows were on and working them and all their vaccinations and their feed and like the whole deal. And so we just had to pay for the upfront cost of the cattle. And when Cody stopped working that job, obviously those benefits went away as well, but we wanted to keep our cow herd. And so we had to take on the expenses of leasing the land. And we have a little bit of acreage, but most of our pasture is leased. Um, And in that first year, we had to buy a bull because we were using his boss's bulls. And it was just this whole like expense after expense after expense. And it was kind of like, a, a just a financial shock of like, and it was so dry that year. And so we had to buy a ton of feed and, um, it got to the point where we were like, if it doesn't start raining and, and growing some kind of pasture, we're probably going to have to sell everything. And we kind of like sat down and set a date. And I think it started raining really good, like two weeks before we were about to sell everything. And so it's just, but I mean, I think that's the, that's the cattle business. Like that's what happens. You know, you, you pour so much into it and you have good years and you have bad years. And thankfully, you know, because so many people sold early that year because it was tough. Our calves were worth more because the market was higher because the demand, you know, there wasn't as many around at that point. And so we did get paid for our efforts in the end, but we just had to hold on. I remember we would sit down almost every night and say, we just got to hold on. Like, we just got to make it. It's going to rain eventually. We just have to hold on and like keep feeding them until it rains. And when it rains, like we'll be okay. 
And but yeah, we were really close. There have been a couple of times where it's been like, is it even really worth it? Should we keep going? It's it's so stressful. And there's so there's such a big financial burden. So it's definitely been like an up and down kind of a thing. Yeah, which it always is in the cattle market, like you said, oh, yeah. and how it is. But man, I don't know if everybody felt feels that like sense of relief that you said when like two weeks before it just started raining. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's just the feeling when that happens is incredible because being that close to like, and that it there's a lot of times that it's that close where you're like, I don't know, this may be it. This may be the time. <laughs> Um, for people who are outside the industry or who maybe have not got to that point yet, that feeling I think is really important to share that it's not, it's not something that you're alone in feeling that lots of people feel that way. And that's something, you know, we all carry. Um, I like that you talked about kind of like how you guys started out small with your eight head, um, which is small to some and not so small to others um, who are growing. Um, And that first year with just all those expenses um, piling up, that is, I feel like one of the hardest things to get past is that first year when you're having all these expenses for the first time and you're hoping, you know, like this is hopefully the last time our expenses will be this high. Has that been the case for you? Or when you guys expanded again, did you have another kind of year like that where you had to really ramp up? No, not really. That first year was honestly the hardest with, um, like purchasing our bowl who, I think the bull was a hard thing um, because he got struck with, he got struck by lightning a year later. We only had him for a year. He got struck by lightning and died a year later. And we have our cattle insured, which is another thing that his boss paid for that we had to, (laughs) that we had to carry over, but insure your cattle. It is always a good idea because freak stuff like that happens. And we were praising the rain and we were so thankful for the rain, but with rain comes lightning and we lost a really nice bull because of it. Um, thank goodness we had a younger bull. We had a yearling bull also. And the year before, after we bought that yearling bull, um, my husband was saying, I don't know why, why did I buy that bull? We don't need it. We don't need two bulls right now. You know, we have a small enough herd. One bull can cover our whole herd. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. He bred every single one of our cows. Like he was, he was great and he was gentle and he threw small calves. And so he was like, really, really good for us. And the Cody just kept kicking himself for spending more money after this really tight financial year. Well, like halfway through the breeding season, our bull gets struck by lightning and dies. And I think he was able to get some of our cows bred, but you know, it was only, I think he was only with them for like a month maybe. And so we had this yearling bull and it was just one of those things where the Lord was really looking out for us because Cody was like, well, how did I do this? Why did I do this? And that's, you know, that's why we needed, we needed another one. It's funny how things that work out like that. My husband's the same way. Anytime he spends money that he's like, ah, I could have gotten by without that. He's kicking himself, but then it usually works out just fine. Yeah. Uh, and the insurance, I feel like that's a really good point for folks who are getting started out. Yes. Um, I know livestock insurance is such a like controversial issue, but for people who are getting started out that first couple of years, if you lose one, I mean, that's kind of it for your profit. A lot of the years that one is the one that makes the difference. So having that as a backup is a really good idea. I feel like we did the same thing. We had, um, our first year that we ran some cows on rented grass, we had one get struck by lightning that we were able to get covered. And that it, it made a big difference for us that year. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe we were running things that tight at the time, but <laughs> it made a difference. Well, well yeah. Um, well, when you guys got started then with those first eight head, did you go to selling shares on those right away? Or when did that become part of the process? We have only sold shares now for two or three years. Um, When we first got started, it was just we got to the fall and our savings was very small and we needed to just sell our calves and get rid of them. Um, It's also wintering cattle where we live is the hardest part of 
the year because um, nobody puts up hay. We just like you put your cows on corn stalks. If you can find some that have low enough nitrates, or if you're lucky enough to be able to find some reasonable hay, you can feed them hay. If you have a really wet year, like we did this year, we're just able to pasture our cows. We have some hay in case it snows um, that we can toss them. But the pasture is still really good here. If you're lucky, you can find some wheat pasture and that's like ideal. But um, we aren't big enough and established enough and connected enough to have access to anything like that right now. And so we for us, the easiest thing has been to just sell the calves in the fall when they're healthy and fat and not have to deal with them through the winter because dealing with cows in the winter time here is hard enough. <laughs> so um, we did keep, I think we've kept four of our calves back this year to sell for beef next year. Um, so we'll be looking at start doing more sh- I think the next year we'll probably keep back six and the next year we'll keep back eight and we'll just keep kind of like separating those two because I think financially it's also, you know, if you have been selling your calves every year in the fall, you know, you get a fall paycheck every single year. And if you keep them all back, there's going to be that one year where you don't get that paycheck. And that is a big strain on someone who's really dependent. You know, we're pretty dependent on that income right now. And so um, we, yeah, I think that just doing that slowly, slowly, slowly over time, I think that people don't, I think that people don't realize how long it takes or if they're just getting started, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm five years into this thing and I still have a tiny little cow herd and I'm not doing what I want. And I feel like the cattle industry is such a long game. Like you just have to plan for like 10, 20 years in advance all the time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then, like you said, when you depend on that income in the fall, when you do try to keep some back, you also then have to feed them to finish them out. So your ex- yes. expenses go up. Yep. And if you don't have a big group to sell at the sale barn that year, then of course they don't bring as much or they may not appeal to the same buyers. And there's so many factors that go into kind of making those changes. Um, and if the market is really good, yeah. you're like, well, am I going to make any more doing shares than I will just selling my calves? Like this year, the market was awesome. And we sold our calves more for this year than we ever have. And it was really tempting to just, you know, sell them and not even worry about it. But then if you, you got to think about the next year, like, well, what's the market going to be next year? Yeah. There's that long game again. Is that why you guys decided to keep going? Is just for some of that protection or do you have clients that are kind of looking forward to those shares every year? Yeah, we have most of our clients are repeat um, clients and we are growing. Actually this year I could have, as there were some people who missed out on beef who wanted some. And I really felt bad about that and wished that I would have been able to t- keep back more from last year to be able to sell this year. And so um, I wanted to be able to make sure that everyone who wanted a share was was able to have the opportunity to purchase one. Mm-hmm. When um, you guys have folks come into you looking for shares of beef, are they coming to you because they know you already, they love the product you produce? Kind of what's leading them to buying from you guys? Most of it is um, people that we already know that are interested in the beef just because they want to buy in bulk. And um, usually that's how they initially come to us um, or through word of mouth. Other people will go over to a friend's house who's bought a beef share and they'll try the beef and they want to get on the beef share list. Um but all of our repeat customers come back because they just love the taste and a lot of them are local. And so they really feel strongly about like buying local food. Um, we use a small processor, a small custom butcher shop in our area too. And so everything is like really, really close. And so they like to be able to kind of close the loop and buy local. And, um, but yeah, most of them are just like, I just want to buy beef in bulk because it's a great deal. And I know Megan and she sells beef in bulk. So we're just going to buy from her. 
That's awesome. Did you guys have any um, trouble with getting your stuff processed when we saw the big boom in local processing needs here in the last couple of years? A little bit. We did. Um, so we were originally planning on processing our beef at a federally inspected processing plant that is probably like an hour's drive from us. Um, that's where almost everyone around here gets their beef processed and they do a really, really great job. Um, but they're a little bit more on the expensive side. I think they're like 105 a pound processing. Um, and they might have even gone up since the last time I checked. But um, they don't do a lot of custom stuff because they're just trying to crank out beef at this point. Um, and I called them to try to get on a list. You know, I was thinking like six months in advance, six months to a year in advance. I was calling them to try to get on their list and they wouldn't even open up their list, like not even a year in advance. They were like, no, we don't have anything. We'll call, we'll put you on a waiting list and call you if anything opens up. And I never heard back from them. And so fortunately, I have um, a friend who lives like 20 miles west of us and they have a small custom butcher shop and being able to use them, um, get everything customized that I could ever wish for. Um, they're less expensive than the bigger guys. You know, it's a small family run shop. Their whole the couple and their kids work in the shop. And so I like being able to support them. Um, so we just, I think honestly, we just got really lucky being able to have something like that, ac access to something like that around here. Yeah, that's incredible. Great asset to your community, it sounds like too, to be able to have yes. another option when the bigger ones are completely booked out. That's a scary feeling as a rancher that, you know, you've been feeding out this steer and all of a sudden have nowhere to go with it or have to go a long ways away. But that's awesome. I'm so glad that that worked out and you have that asset close by. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Well, um, you guys have been slowly growing on the beef cattle side then. Um, how else have things changed since you got started? You're a mom. Um, you guys have been expanding on your other business fronts as well. What's that look like? Yeah, it's sometimes it feels like we're just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks because we do so many different things. But in 2018 or 19, 2018, we started a business called Good Handle, um, which was solely focused on like Western print T-shirts um, that kind of hit its peak in like 2021 when we had um, a design that said Long Lake American Rancher. And that one did really, really well. We sold a ton of it. <laughs> sold a lot of that shirt. And after my second daughter was born, I just was not able to put the attention into it. And so we still have it and we still sell shirts, but we're not regularly updating inventory like we were. We're not marketing it like we were. Um, we still get orders that trickle in every week or so. Um, but that's about it. It's just kind of right now, it's just kind of like my umbrella business for everything that we do underneath it. Um, so then we started doing online education because that's not quite as like constant day to day kind of a thing. Um, I feel like working from home with kids, it's easier to do projects and not just like every single day, you know, keeping updated and corresponding and packaging and all of that and social media and all of that. And so doing stuff like the online education and the cookbooks are a lot easier to just work, 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 get that project done and then just focus on marketing. And I just have to market it um, and push sales. And so the online education, I have a big um, online course called the broiler school. And it's all about raising meat chickens. Um, and then I have several mini courses, uh, everything for, I don't even remember all of <laughs> everything from like raising, ch laying chickens to, um, 
how to ferment vegetables, how to can meat, um, several other different kind of mini courses like that. And that's nice because it's it's done. And then I can just market it and update it as needed, um, help my students as they need and just not have to really touch it. Um, and then the cookbooks are a very similar thing to that. Um, we did a cookbook, a little cookbook called Foundations of Soup, which is a free resource for anyone who would like to sign up on my email list. Um, that one had a lot of success and I was really, really happy with how it turned out. Um, it was a lot of upfront work, but having that finished product that I can just push is so, so nice to have. And I love being able to give people a really high quality free resource. Um, and so that has helped grow my email list substantially. And that has been a wonderful asset to our family. Um, after that success, I decided to keep going with the cookbook thing. And so I've now been working on my next cookbook, which is called Foundations of Beef. And that one is going to be a print cookbook. Um, the soup cookbook is just a little free e-cookbook resource kind of a thing. The beef cookbook is going to be a like legit print cookbook, um, which I'm really hoping is wildly successful as well because it's been a little over a year in the making. And granted, that's with kids and other projects and everything else going on. Like it does not have to take that long. It took me that long because it is, um, there's just a lot of other stuff going on. But gosh, I think that that's pretty much it that we <laughs> I think that's it that we do yeah well lots to dig into there and I think first I want to say don't discredit your work because it's a huge project to put together a cookbook and anybody who's put together anything like that before knows all the things that go into that um and trying to do that with kids you might be sitting like at the computer less working on it but it's still going through your mind like a hundred percent of the time I'm sure where you're like oh I got yeah. So I need to, here's an idea for that and this kind of thing. Um, so I am so excited to see you launch that. That's really cool. And such a good resource for your customers and anybody who's buying large, like bulk beef and wanting to cook that way. Was that something, the skills that you learned to be able to put together the courses and the cookbooks, was that stuff that you learned from your grandma or skills you've picked up along the way? Or where did that come from? A lot of the online education has been skills that I picked up from my grandmother. Um, she was raised on a farm with what we in the modern age would 100% call a homestead. Um, they raised or grew essentially all of their own food. And so she has been not only a big resource, but a big inspiration for a lot of what I put out. Um, she's just a wonderful person and she's so, she's so genuine and she's so joyful in everything that she does in her life. And she is such a hard worker. She gives, she's going to be, gosh, I think 78 this year and she's still living on her own and she's still doing her own thing. And she's like running a kitchen for, um, the senior center in her little town. It's just like, she's amazing. And so being able to have her, a lot of those skills don't, aren't common anymore. It's, it's hard to find people who do a lot of that stuff anymore. And so being able to have her as a resource has been super helpful. And whenever we get together, I try to ask her all the questions that I can. And she's always super eager to teach and let me know anything that, I need to. Um, and so those, a lot of the education has been skills that I've learned from her. Um, on the beef side of things though, almost everything is from Cody on the practical side of like actual, actually raising the cattle and everything. Um, on the cooking side, a lot of influence from my grandma, a lot of influence from my dad. My dad's a really excellent cook. Um, and my brothers are really good cooks. Actually, our family is a big, my, my side of the family is a huge cooking family. Like we, we love, we love food and we love to cook. And anytime we get together, it's just, what do you want to cook? What do you want to eat? Um, and so being able to like bounce ideas off of my mom and dad and my brothers has been really helpful asking them 
you know, they have different techniques and they have different skill sets and everything. And so, um, all of that has kind of added up to what is the foundations of beef cookbook. Um, and there's a lot of like cut, understanding different cuts in there and the nutrition behind beef and, you know, all of that kind of stuff in addition to the recipes. And that has just been really passion learning for me of the, of the cattle industry of wanting to know why we stand up for the cattle industry, why we fight for it, why we love it so much, you know, being able to defend. I think if you're a rancher in this time, you kind of have to defend your profession. And so, um, so much of it was just learning all of those different aspects of the cattle industry and putting that all together into the book. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's been a combination of skills learned from my grandma, things learned on my own influences from other people, um, just kind of all wrapped up into that. That's amazing. You were able to pick up so many of those things throughout your life and from your grandma and other family, because like you said, a lot of that knowledge is not common anymore. I think there is a huge skill gap in food preparation and processing as you know, we've seen over the last 50, 60 years when grocery stores have become so popular, most of us don't give a second thought to where we're getting, you know, we think about, well, you know, a farmer raised this, but there were so many more steps in that process before it gets to your plate that we just don't think about anymore. Mm-hmm. It's We have a, an enormous luxury to not have to think about that. Yeah. But when COVID happened and a lot of those things disappeared from the shelves, I think everybody started thinking about it a lot more. I think so too. It's incredible that you are sharing those resources with people. Um, if someone is getting started on that journey of like wanting to learn more skills in processing and growing food, where do you think they should get started? What's an easy first entry point? I I think that everyone should start in the kitchen. If you're talking like baseline, no, no experience with um, agriculture or animal husbandry or any, gardening, any kind of that. I always tell people to start in the kitchen because there are so, so many valuable skills. Everybody has a kitchen. Everybody has access to ingredients. Some of us don't have access to as great of ingredients as others, but um if you, you if you're willing to work with what you have, you can do so much. Learning how to cook sourdough, learning how to cook meals just from scratch. So many people rely on just ultra processed things, and they don't know, they don't understand like the formulas for like how to create a soup or how to create a roast or how to um, cook without a cookbook. You know, there are so many of those skills that can be taught and learned in the kitchen, fermenting vegetables, you know, making tinctures. If you want to get to the medicinal side, there's just so, so much that, you know, people think that, well, I want a homestead. And so I need to wait until I have land. I need to wait until, you know, I have enough money. And some of these things are, there are, there is a big upfront cost. You know, if you're going to jump into raising cattle, you know, that's a big expense right there that you have to, that you have to dish out. But while you're waiting for that money to, to get here, you can learn about animal husbandry. You can learn about calving. You can learn about what it takes to raise a cow, beef cattle. And then you can also learn how to cook that beef in your kitchen and you can learn the cuts. And, you know, there's just, there's so, so much, there's so much education out there now in the form of online resources that, you can learn at whatever stage you're at in life with whatever kind of baseline skill set you have. But yeah, I would always, I always encourage people like start in the kitchen. There's, I'm still learning tons of things in the kitchen. I don't think it ever ends. I love that you say that. What are um, some of your favorite resources that you've picked up along the way as you've continued to learn more in the kitchen? (laughs) Gosh, um, some really great cookbooks are like Jill Winger's um, cookbook, Old Fashioned on Purpose. Her cookbook is absolutely wonderful for learning like simple, good, hearty cooking. Um, I think it's called The Art of Simple Food. That's another really good one. 
And both of those cookbooks are good at just teaching basics and like really simple, delicious dishes that you will come back to over and over and over again that most likely you already have ingredients on hand. Um, We don't go to the grocery store very often and I try to avoid it as much as I can and just do like big trips every once in a while. And so I am not fond of recipes that call for like obscure things that I don't have on hand. I just don't reach for those recipes. And those cookbooks are really, really good for learning like the techniques and formulas of how to cook certain dishes um, because then you can just use whatever you have on hand um, and that's already in your fridge and your pantry. So those two have been really great. Um, Like I said, my grandma has been a huge resource in the kitchen teaching me. She's the one who taught me how to can and preserve everything. Um, and if you want to get into canning the ball, um, canning book, I don't know what the title is called. It's just like the ball canning book. Um, like they're big encyclopedia on canning and everything. That's a good resource. Um, beyond canning is one of my favorite canning books too. Those ones have been really, really good for me. Um, and then just YouTube, honestly, I YouTube a lot of stuff. YouTube has taught me so much. That's awesome. Um, I love the part where you said that like there's a lot of things that call for obscure ingredients that you just don't reach for. And I think that's one of the biggest things that starting to cook more on your own or from scratch helps you do is like get that list of staple ingredients that you're going to have and that you're going to have on hand that gives you the power to make a whole bunch of different things from just those basics that you can have. And it helps your grocery bill a lot when you're not suddenly running to the store for random things that you need for one one recipe and stuff like that. Well, um, you also talked a little bit about the formulas for putting together some of these recipes and how to do a roast and things like that. I think that is a unique like, like way of thinking about it to some people. So do you want to talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Sure. So really my biggest motivation for making the soup cookbook was to teach people the quote unquote formula of how to cook soup because the vast majority of soups basically have just like a generic formula, you know, like you brown your meat, you cook your aromatics, you add your stock and your meat and your really hard root vegetables in there. You let it simmer all day and then you add in, you know, your starch, like your pastas or your rice or, you know, your cream or your cheese, however you want to like flavor it in your softer vegetables like peas or whatever. And I through lots of trial and error and through people teaching me like my dad, I was able to, they, they taught me how to do this formula for soup. And I was able to make a soup on with basically whatever I had on hand. And if I wanted it to taste, you know, Mexican, I could make a Mexican soup. Or if I wanted to do, um, Mediterranean, I could make a Mediterranean soup. Or, you know, if I wanted to do a thick stew, I could do that. If I wanted to do a thinner soup with like a really rich broth, I could do that. And um, I think that so many things, you know, like cookies have like a quote unquote formula that, you know, you, if you read enough cookie recipes, you'll recognize they do the same things in the same order every time the ingredients are just a little bit different. And so if you have those basic formulas down in your head, then you can make whatever you want with whatever you have on hand. And I had so many people reaching out and asking me, you know, what's your favorite soup recipe? What kind of soups do you like to make? This and this and this. And I realized that I didn't have a lot of recipes that I kept going to because I was just making them up with what I had in my fridge. And I wanted other people to be able to understand and learn and know how to do that too, because soup is so good for you and it's so nutritious. And like we live off of soup in the colder months. It is just like we eat soup at least every single week. And it's it's just easy. And I know that my family's being nourished. And I know that if somebody's hungry, they can go and warm up a bowl of soup from the pantry or from the fridge. And so I wanted, 
I wanted that to be passed down because older cookbooks, if you think about cookbooks from like a hundred plus years ago, they taught the skills and they taught the formulas and the recipes were a lot more vague. You know, it's like, it's like brown roast cook in a slow oven until tender. You know, they don't tell you temperatures. They don't tell you exact times because cooking was so much less formulaic and so much more uh, instinct. And I think that that instinct can be taught. We just do a bad job of it these days. And so I really like one thing that I talk about in my mini courses a lot is that like you need to trust your gut and you need to trust your instinct and trust your nose. And when you start to rely more on those things and less on like expiration dates or exact measurements or exact times, you'll be able to trust yourself more in the kitchen. And I think you'll be happier and your cooking will be better and it'll just be a a better deal overall. That is so cool to hear you talk about that. Um, I love the line of thinking, and I think you're absolutely right. The more that you do something, when you get used to these cooking things, you get to rely on those instincts a lot more. You develop them. Um, And it's just, you know, a lot of us maybe didn't even start to learn to cook until we got out on our own. Um, And that was like, maybe if you wanted to try something other than ramen um, or had the budget for more than ramen that week. Um, It's just not, it's not part of our culture anymore. Um, It was for so long. And now I'm, I'm so glad to see some of those things coming back and people still having like you resources that have been passed down to share with people who maybe don't have access to those um, or haven't had the opportunity to learn from a family member. It's just a great thing to be able to give someone. So I'm not surprised your business is doing well there. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about like you talked about this. I don't know if you use the word system, but the formulas and kind of getting in the rituals of doing some of this meal prep and cooking and knowing, just knowing, you know, like what's next or what goes with this. When you started doing that, was that something that you saw as like a as something that would save you time and make it more efficient to feed your family or easier? Or was it something that felt like a burden where you were like, oh my gosh, I have to do a hundred prep steps when I could have just gone to the grocery store or something like that. I, I think it was easier for me. I'm a lazy cooker and I like to cut corners wherever I can. I'm a lazy canner, like processing things. I'm, I will not do an extra step unless I absolutely have to. And so I, you know, we, we don't live that far out of town. We live like 10, 15 miles outside of town. It's not that big of a deal to go to town, but I still don't like to do it. (laughs) It takes time out of my day. And so if I can, we, we buy the bulk of our groceries once a month. And so if I can plan ahead and if I have enough recipes in my repertoire to kind of make things work with what we have, um, mixing it up enough to keep everybody happy, um, then, then I'm good. And so, um, we, you know, we still run to the store at least once a week for miscellaneous things, but I really try. I think that the planning and the prepping, you know, every Sunday night I sit down and I write out my meal plans for the week. And I know that on Monday, we're going to have a Mexican and on Wednesday, we're going to have a slow cooked meal and Saturday, we're going to have soup so that we can eat soup for lunch on Sunday after church and I don't have to cook. And so all of these things are in place just to make my life easier and ease the mental load of what are we going to have for dinner? what are we going to have for lunch? What are we have for breakfast literally every single day? And, um, so yeah, it's, it's just, I'm just lazy and it's just trying to figure out the ways to more easily make, make meals easier on me. I love to hear that I'm not the only one that feels in the way. (laughs) I am a hundred percent a lazy cook and it's all about trying to reduce the number of steps and Mm -hmm. Yeah trying to reduce the number of things I have to remember to put on the grocery list too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I want to dive a little bit more into kind of the overarching brand that you guys operate under, Good Handle. 
I know that you have um, been developing that for a long time. And I think I've heard you talk uh, before about the story that goes behind that. Do you want to share a little bit about where that came from? Sure. So um, are you talking about the name itself? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, Cody and I, OPSU, where we met is in Goodwell, Oklahoma. And so the good kind of comes from that. Um, And it's funny because um, my husband has been dreaming about this brand since he's been in college and he came up with the name and the logo when, when he was in college, before we had even started dating. And he always just thought it would be really neat to own a brand like that, that produces t-shirt designs that were more Western that people like him could relate to. And, um, so the, so the good, so the good in good handle came from Goodwill. And Good Handle itself is more or less about like having a good handle on your life, having a good handle on your horse, having a good handle on that steer, you know, those kind of things. And so that we've honestly gone back and forth on if we should keep the name, if we should change the logo, if we should do a bunch of different stuff. And we just we just can't get rid of it. It's it sticks and it fits. It absolutely does stick. I love it. I love the concept. It's just, it's so good. Um, It applies to so many things that you're doing too. To me, I feel like just the good handle on life, the good handle on the skills that you need to be doing the things that you want to do is is so cool. And I am the t-shirts. I was going to mention this earlier and I forgot to, but the authenticity of those is so easy to see. I hope everybody goes and checks them out on your website because it's so obvious that you guys like, that comes from what you do. It's not just like a trendy t-shirt that you slapped together. So Thank I hope you. I hope people check them out. And it, it's so obvious to see the authenticity. I love it there that that you guys have worked to put to conceptualize that into the art that is on those. It's really Thank good. You. Yeah. Um, well, I think the uh, last question that I kind of wanted to give our listeners a little bit insight about is. Um, when you guys stepped away from Cody's previous employer, Mm -hmm. what was that process like? Because that is such a huge leap to make to be full-time entrepreneurs and, and try to like grow your family, grow your business, grow everything. It's so scary. What was that like for you guys? Well, he still, he still works for another guy in addition to doing the entrepreneur stuff and raising our own cattle and everything. So we're not solely dependent on, sorry, I feel I was not clear on that. No, that's okay. Not solely dependent on, um, just the cattle and the business and stuff like that. Um, and I still work odd jobs on the side too, that bring in extra income, um, that don't, that are, not involved in the business. I still, you know, still slightly involved. It's like marketing and like website management and stuff like that. But, um, like both of us, and I also bake sourdough on the side. Like there's a lot of little extra income streams into our household to be able to make that work. Obviously the big dream is like just running our cattle and I can sell a few cookbooks here and there, but like the cattle are the big chunk of income, but that's quite the process when you're building it from the ground up on your own and you don't have a bunch of extra money that you can put into it it is a long process and we are i feel like we're still just right at the beginning there um but him him leaving that job without the security of having all the cattle stuff paid for um it was a it was definitely intimidating but i think we were also kind of ignorant at that point and we didn't realize like just how much money we would be spending on our cattle and you know we knew like right up front we just did like rough math and we're like oh yeah the lease is this month and must much and it doesn't take that much to vaccinate these cattle and this and this and this and when you really get down to the nitty-gritty and factor in literally everything that goes into it, it is a lot more than we had anticipated. And so that was a big, big learning curve for us. Um, but we made it through. We are on the other side. We made it through. And I feel like that's the important part. 
definitely. And I, I love to hear that it's like a conglomeration of things that you guys pull together. Cause I feel like that's how it used to be on farms or homesteads where you kind of just used what you had and the skills that you had to figure out how your income was going to work that year. And I love the story. My, we live on my husband's family farm and we're listening to his grandma who is now 90 talk about you know the different things that they did like they had dairy cows that they would raise bucket calves on as nurse cows and then they would sell some of the cream and you know it just all kind of fits together and and makes um makes things work that way as you build the rest of it on the side (laughs) and I think it makes other people who are just getting started feel better too about having to do those extra things because it's hard to get started in the agricultural in pretty much any agricultural sector mm-hmm. it's hard to get started and you know you might be doing extra jobs for the your entire life while you do that operation and that's okay mm-hmm. absolutely i don't know how anybody gets started without some kind of something to balance the books and make things work on your ears. So, well, is there anything else that um, you want to share? Talk about what's coming up with the cookbook and where people can follow up with you? Sure. So the beef cookbook should be done this December. Sometime in the month of December 2023 should be finished and published. We are in the very, very final stages of it, um, which is really relieving and exciting. Um, so if you are signed up for my email list, um, you will get first access to be able to purchase that. My email list sign up can be found at our website, which is goodhandle.net. And um, when you sign up for the email list, you get the free soup cookbook. So you could get the two cookbooks. Um, my Instagram is at Megan Lynn Gates. And that's where a lot of my, um, that's where most of my cookbook updates go. I have a small Facebook group for my sourdough stuff, but that is just for local people. So nobody probably wants to join. (laughs) You never know if they're nearby, they can find you. That's true. That's true. Well, good deal. Um, And I, I was going to say, I think it was your Instagram. I saw it that you said you have a working kitchen and you're proud that you have a working kitchen. Um, I'm looking forward to the day when you do like a tour of your working kitchen because I am like giddy to see like all the things that you do and how you set everything up. It is a mess. It is, <laughs> it's just messy all the time. All working kitchens are, right? <laughs> But okay, well, that is where you can follow up with Megan. Megan, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all of the wisdom and tips for getting started in the kitchen. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat. <laughs>